Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Thursday Night Streams podcast. For this week, we hear about the life and conversion story of Dr. Bachowski, a former abortion doctor turned pro-life advocate. Dr. Bachowski earned his medical degree from the University of South Alabama College of Medicine in 1987. He completed his OBGYN residency at Eastern Virginia Medical Center and the Jones Institute for Reproductive Medicine in Norfolk, Virginia in 1991, and he received his board certification in 1993. During his residency, he performed abortions out of a desire to help women, but realized abortion was not achieving the freedom, health, and happiness they sought. He returned to the Catholic faith and felt God's call to start a medical specialty practice that truly helped women. And in 1994, Dr. Bachowski founded Tepeyac in Fairfax, Virginia, committed to serving all women, regardless of their beliefs, background, or financial situation. In 2000, he founded Divine Mercy Care that raises funds to cover the cost of prenatal care for approximately 30% of Tepeyac's pregnant patients who are in financial need. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, good evening. How are y'all? Good evening. Uh, thank you for, thanks for inviting us to come here tonight. That was a lot of paid advertisement. I'm kind of more of the mind of Father Farrell talking about sarcasm. And this, uh, I'm also going to give a two-minute blurb for Encounter. Uh, West Virginia is full of mountains. Mountains are where Buddha and um, the, uh, the Greek uh, gods sit. It's also where Father Farrell sits. <laughs> and uh, I just want you to know that um, this idea of meeting Jesus Christ face-to-face, one-on-one, wherever you are in the walk, no matter what doubts you have, no matter what sins you've had, um, it's real. And it'll be forever challenging because you're going to be surrounded by a community of people who share that same desire to go from clay to the stars because only grace can do that, right? And I just want to tell you that I'm a goofball. I'm a Polish kid. I wanted to be a spy. I'm 60 years of age. I have two boys, uh, 25, 26, and 29. I have one granddaughter down in Houston, Texas. I think I am also rooting for the Bengals this Sunday. Um, yeah, man. Um, but my talk tonight uh, is really most more of like a conversation. And I called it Pizza, Pasta, and Prescriptions. Prescriptions is what doctors and healthcare providers write to treat disease. Go out and set the world ablaze. I went to a Jesuit college in Mobile, Alabama and played baseball there. Fire. Fire. It's what flows out of Jesus when he was healing people. It's what the young ladies were talking about today after Mass. I think I even saw a little fire coming out of Father during his homily. An old OBGYN gets renewed by GMU uh, GMU Smarties. That's you guys. So, What are the topics on campus right now that are hot buzz topics? What do you got? What's going, just anybody. What are the topics going around? How about you right here? Yeah. Oh, I was already pretty mindful. (laughs) Um, Masking, COVID, are those hot topics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what about the war in the Ukraine or the possible war there, anything? Yeah. Yeah. What else, anything? What? Lent? Yes, that's a that's an excellent topic coming up. What about abortion? Abortion rights. 
What about anything Catholic? So what does the Bible and the church say about these hot button topics? It's not something that I ever thought about at your age. But it's obviously something that you all are helping each other look into. How should you as a believer navigate these hot button topics? And how do you engage others with love, frankness, and kindness? Can we be as honest as Joe Rogan? <laughs> Can we be as sarcastic as Father Farrell? <laughs> Can we be as loving as Maria in the background? She's from Long Island, and I'm from North Jersey, so oh. we say baseball and chocolate. And um, I'm also grateful for Valerie and for Jamie, the two leaders of your group. I want to tell you something. Um, the kindness and the generosity. I've been to your college twice over the last 30 years. I was here, I used to go to mass upstairs at 10 o'clock on Sunday nights after leaving a delivery that God somehow arranged for me to get to mass on a Sunday. It would be at 10 o'clock here, and I'd be in the back, and Father Peter was here at the time. <laughs> Father Peter is awesome. He takes yeah. your breath away. Not the, same way, not the same way that my wife takes my breath away, but, you know. But this place, this chapel upstairs, this room down here, the baseball field, this is where I would come to take a break and get refreshed. And after talking to a few of you in the, in the group tonight, you're doing the same thing to me right now. You're making it, a, you're, you're giving us, you're giving me what I need to be loved. And so, can we be as honest as Joe Rogan? Is there still room, and by the way, my arm's a little bit, um, I'm, I have an autoimmune disease of recent note, and my arm does some funny things, so if it kind of goes around, just be patient with me. Um, what the hell does it mean to follow the science? What does it mean anymore to have a conversation where you can literally have two people with opposing viewpoints and not demonize them, or them demonizing you, running to a safe space, or to be a victim? How, you know, there, there's a few folks here who are focused missionaries. I used to be a Campus Crusade for Christ missionary. And I've had this, the father was talking about, hey, you know, God has, you know, God writes straight with crooked lines, right? Like us. Surprise. As I say to all my patients, God is a funny dude. He's constantly filled with surprises. Do you know how crazy in love with you Jesus and Mary are? Crazy in love. Go to encounter. <laughs> and I'm not getting paid to do this. <laughs> we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. That's a famous old philosopher and historian. We don't talk about virtue or habits anymore. We just talk about skin color and identity. And wait a second. You know, I went to school in Alabama. These are real issues, folks, that you are going to be asked. 
Are you ready? Because the way you respond to these issues are going to shape the future of eternity, the future and eternity of the person you're talking to, as well as to yourself, for yourself. Because you're going to be an instrument of Jesus' love in the midst of real freaking chaos. At the hospital recently, I was chastised for saying pregnant women. They wanted me to say pregnant people. What? My cousin transitioned. The guy who got me into medical school is now a woman, according to him. And I love him dearly. The most beautiful part about divine mercy care is that you never demonize the other side, ever. Ever, as we would say in Long Island. <laughs> You know, I, I, used, I went to a Billy Joel concert before a piano man. My son was able to play that riff about a New York state of mind recently. Are you ready to go out from here, especially you seniors? I think you are. I think this place, this room, this building, this faith. <laughs> Today's also the eve of what? What's the feast day tomorrow? Anybody? Our Lady of Lords, healing, medicine, body, soul, and spirit stuff, water. You understand that when you see water, we all live sacramentally, right, as a Catholic community? We see something and we see what's deeper, even if we're sarcastic about it, even if we have a sense of humor about it. It's amazing. What's the reality? So I'm going to talk a little bit about my conversion, kind of interspersed. I'm going to talk about the three court, the three cases before the legislature here about abortion. But I'm, I'm really going to throw this back on you guys, just like I tried to do in the beginning when you, you were kind of a little lame and you weren't answering my <laughs> and you weren't answering my question about what is bugging you, because I'm going to ask you some questions because I need your help. I engage young people all the time. Medical students, residents, doctors, students, PAs, nurses, all across the country. And you are my touch point to them because you're both, you're actually kind of like uh, the manger scene at Christmas. You combine the best of being a freaking shepherd with the wise men and women who visited Jesus. You came and you brought faith and reason together, and that's what I love about what this place can be. But today is the, the eve, and being a good, you know, uh, my, my old days were of Jewish nationality. I have many Jewish folks in my family. Uh, we start the day in the evening, just like you are starting the evening. Today is the feast, the beginning of the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. So I really want you to pray for me. Pray for us, for Barb and I. Now, 1858, St. Bernadette, the, you know, offer her life up for sinners. Oh, by the way, there's going to be a stream, a healing stream, a healing well coming up out of the rock, out of the ground. You've got to eat some grass in the middle of it. And people come from all over. Six million people a year go there. This is the month of healing. It's something that I try to do now as an instrument, a weak instrument, a blunt instrument at times, sometimes a broken instrument. 
because in my life I've done some other things. So she had a prayer that said, Jesus came on earth to be our model, if it encounter. We are called to follow him. And for some of us, it's going to be to West Virginia next week. <laughs> also follow Father Farrell up the steps of the altar. Will we follow him further and deeper than we are doing today? Wherever the heck you are, are you going to go further? Will we walk generously in his steps? The sacred and immaculate heart grant us to always love you more and more so we can generously love others more and more. Tepeyak OBGYN is both and. Remember, our faith is full of paradox. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's not about either or, it's about both and. For me, it's body and soul. It's faith and reason. It's also how can a little piece of bread be the God of the universe and the God of black holes and the Jesus Christ of healing pain, the Son of God. Unbelievable. So we have a great, great background in our faith. And so I just want you to know that when you think of evil, evil is not a group of people or a segment of society that if I could just round them up, I could get rid of them. That's what they did to my peeps in Poland in the 1970s. Oh, Mr. Brzezowski, you uh, work for Solidarity? The trade union, is that you? Oh, line up, children, line up behind your father. Boom. Brains blown on my cousins. Because he's evil, right? When you lose the argument of truth and reason, you end up pushing yourself on people. You actually start criminalizing things and you start violently trying to control them. Trust me, my cousins did not join solidarity because their father was murdered in front of their eyes late one night by a group of police officers. 1970-whatever. That's, what that's how I grew up. <laughs> I prayed for the conversion of Russia back when I was a little kid in front of our statue of Our Lady. And look what happened in my lifetime. The wall fell down. But love, which is part of the Catholic tradition, is painful. It's sacrificial. You all know it. You bear the brunt here sometimes, I'm sure. Father didn't even know the heck he was supposed to be a priest back in the day he was here. And what I loved what he said, a non-practicing person when he was here. I'm the poster child <laughs> for Catholic health care. I kept my mouth shut. I actually believed, eventually, that my mom and dad were <laughs> too old, too stodgy, too traditional. I was going to elevate women to the height of what they needed to be free from the chains of their fertility. But anyway, first things first, let's talk about the three court cases that are going to be in front of uh, the House of Delegates, which I think George Mason was somebody, something big about, so this is good. It's good to be here. Case number one, or the, not case, but the uh, bill number one is HB 304. It will provide treatment for children born alive during an abortion. Okay. It's providing for treatment for kids that are born after an abortion. Let me tell you how I used to do this. So 
Um, in the old days, we used to uh, dump salt in women's wombs, uteruses. We used to take a big needle and squirt high-dose salt fluid, just like uh, the Pacific Ocean. We'd stick it in the bag of fluid around the baby, scald the baby, and then that would create a reaction. The baby would turn beet red, the water would break, and we would use medicine to pit the baby out. Occasionally, those babies came out breathing. I used, to take a, I used to take a towel, the baby would get put in a bucket, yes ma'am, you did the right thing, you just end their lives because they're not wanted anyway. That's what happens, this is, that's the reality. I was a wonderful kid growing up. Almost as wonderful as Barb made it out to me since I was like, too good, man, that's not me. <laughs> I grew up in a great family. I did not have this support system here. I didn't have focus. I didn't have people calling me to accountability. I didn't have priests standing up and speaking the truth in love. I didn't have a group of you here. We might have had, what, two kids? At our, whatever, see, you know, whatever our class was. Three, five, seven. So this, this bill would require providing life-saving care to a baby that survives an abortion attempt. What happens is, doctors who do abortion are getting less and less. Do you know why that is? Anybody here take a guess? It's because of the hardness of their heart. I go around the country and I talk to medical schools from uh, Harvard to Southern Cal, to, from Chicago down to UT Texas, LSU, at Alabama. Um, a bunch of witches tried to put spells on me uh, at the University of Washington. <laughs> Thank God I was prayed over by a Dominican priest, a form of a infestation prayer to keep me a little slippery so the spells would roll off my back like a water on a duck's back. <laughs> I'm not joking. I had to go upstairs and get the Black Panther Party to push them off the steps. They lined the back of the room. They threw tomatoes at me. Get your, get your rosary off my ovary, they yelled. They spoke in languages and tongues I did not know. We don't love, we still love them. I did move them off the steps so their drum beating wasn't going to interfere with my talk. And you say, yes, I'm great to be here at the University of Washington. What a great place for diversity and openness of conversation. <laughs> Correct. So I go around the country and I try to talk to people. I try to give them a two-minute blurb that will get me past their looking, at, looking me up on the Internet. Because remember, you only have a few seconds with people. I'm sure you guys do this well here, and you're going to into the future. So I tell them this, because I say to them, a former abortionist wants to keep abortion rare. Former abortionist, me. 
Now, I didn't do it as a doctor outside my residency. I did it for the first two years in my residency, and I built most of today's contraceptives in the same place because our whole job was to stamp out fertility. You know, you know, there's overpopulation, you only need one or two kids. God forbid you try to live, you know, you know, give more than that, life to more than that. There's a problem here. But that's how doctors are trained these days. God loved them for trying to find their way through. Of course, if this comes up, you keep your mouth shut. You don't talk about your past. But I wanted to be the best OBGYN, which means I had to abort babies. Because once again, ideology doesn't cut it, folks. If you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, the ideology or the faith of the Catholic Church, the intellectual argument, come on. You need both and again. You need that language, right, folks, who are the missionaries? You need the engagement. You need the encounter. But it's not with you so much. It's with Jesus Christ. And you have to show that to people in your love and in your smile. What? The kid from University of Virginia goes, you mean you believe that life begins at conception? Fertilization? Yeah. I've never heard it in my eight years of being here. Not a single doctor even brings it up anymore. It's a done, it's a question. Well, it's, life begins whenever the mother says so. Whenever it's wanted. You want things, you welcome people. So this idea of this baby that I just got rid of by covering it up, it's not because of people shooting them, it's because of their hard heart. Yes, I'll, sure, hon, yes ma'am, you know, I, I know your boyfriend's pretty rough on you. I'll put your IUD in right after the baby's out. I'll stick it in your uterus. It's okay. Uh, your, fetus, your, your fetus is only uh, the size of a lima bean. I can do that. They don't fight back. It's okay. I'm good. What do you mean? No, you're 10 weeks old. You mean it's the size of a cashew? Yeah, I can help you there too. Because my heart's breaking. I have pity on these people. I have compassion. I have mercy. That's what they told me. That's what my confessor told me. Of course I can do it. Yeah, I know there's bones, but I'm pretty good at this. Uh, the baby's about two inches big now, 14 weeks. You didn't tell your mom? Why didn't you tell her she was gonna hurt you? Yeah, I understand. And you're now how old? Oh, you're 20 weeks along. So a total pregnancy is 40 weeks along. 20 is halfway. Do you know how big a 20-week-old baby is, anybody? A pound. 450 grams. A pound. Do you know how you have to get rid of those babies? You either deliver them with medicine to give them labor, or back in the day when I was training, you tore apart, you, you ripped their arms out of their sockets and you crushed their skull. I did that. Slow, slippery slope. The water gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and you keep doing more and more and more of it. Why? Because mercy without God leads to the gas chamber. Walker Percy, Flannery O'Connor. Mercy without God leads to the gas chamber, the Holocaust, or the abortion clinic. Guess what? An education without virtue 
even though there's many good things that come of it, makes you a kind of more of a clever devil, as C.S. Lewis would say. All right. <laughs> Education without virtue makes you pretty much a clever devil. That was me. Justify everything. I'm not going to go against me. <laughs> I'm already moving away from my parents' faith. The rosary, eh, not so much. You know? Second case, restore a woman's right to know. That's HB 212. It's in, it means many of these laws were just dismantled in the 2020 year. Just get, let's get rid of it. It's include giving a woman crucial information before ending the life of her child. They must get scientifically accurate information because a lot of times I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with it. I have no choice here, Dr. V. I have to abort the baby. I don't want to see the ultrasound. I don't. That's not that. You have to give the patient informed consent. And for us doctors, there's always two patients, right? The baby and the mom. You never, another principle, you never pit one against the other. I'll never pit... Valerie? You never pit Valerie against Jamie. You never pit father against Maria. She's the admin. We know where the real power is. <laughs> <laughs> you never pit mom against baby, ever. Why? Because then the woman aborts the baby, saves her life, and she's walking around with a dead baby in her memory. It's the same thing with a mom who's had a rape. What do you mean? I've got to get rid of this. It's going to remind me of... Whenever you become intimate with somebody, that pain is deep. It's already there. Back when I was a resident and I had changed my mindset, that was a tough cake. That was a tough one for me to handle. I'm working one night and this wonderful woman comes in. And she goes, "Woo! I'm in labor, doctor. Thank you so much. And I said, oh, great, great, great. Where are you from? I'm from San Diego. I lived in Norfolk at the time and I was working in a Norfolk hospital. San Diego, California? Yeah, 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 San Diego, California. What did it take you, like a week to get here? Yeah, 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 it took me uh, seven and a half days. <sighs> She's breathing through the contractions. Why didn't you just deliver in San Diego? That's my 10th baby. I've been raped six times. I've aborted all six of them. And I've had some miscarriages. Oh my God, the baby's coming. Well, why'd you come here? I want to get far away from this because I know I don't want to act like the man acted towards me or the men acted towards me. I want it to be better than that and not hurt an innocent person. This woman kissed the baby and gave it up for adoption right after she delivered that child. Amazing. So the third one is the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. It's very similar to Dobbs, and maybe I don't have to talk about Dobbs then. It's basically, um, there's uh, somebody in the Senate and somebody in the House, or in the House of Delegates, brought it to, brought it, the bill to, to, to the uh, floor. It's to provide protection for unborn children capable of feeling pain. I can tell you that when I took off the arms of a two and a half pound, three pound baby, they fight back. When you go after a smaller baby, 
they fight back, but just not as hard. But when the baby gets to be really little, the four bones, they're just too weak to fight back. They're like uh, soft tissue, so they don't really fight back. But you can see the tissue when you tear them apart with the suction or what have you. Or you give the woman medicine that makes them have the abortion in the toilet. This is what we consider great medicine today. Is this the best I'm going to give you, young lady? No. So, right now, we talk about following the science. When I was 35 years ago doing this, babies could, live, could, could barely live outside of moms at about 25, 26 weeks. It's now 22, 23 weeks. But just like the old arguments for abortion kind of are still there and they're kind of fallen by the wayside, the old arguments for life are Wait a second, we now can save babies at 22 weeks of age, 23 weeks of age. Squirt a little soap in their lungs that kind of keeps their lungs expanded. It's called surfactant. And so, Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. In this state, I believe it's going to be around 20 weeks of, of life, about halfway. When I did, an, when I did a... Um, a commercial for the Susan B. Anthony group, it's at 15 weeks. Because at 15 weeks, the cortex of the baby's brain is capable of working through the thalamus to increase the reflex. When you pinch a child at this age, it pulls back. Now let me, ask, let me just tell you, I have many friends who, are, who do abortionists. One of these gentlemen that I befriended trying, you know, this, one of this gentlemen that we befriended, he just says, John, it's reflex. It's nothing more than reflex. Do you understand that we can now operate on babies' spines in the utero of their mothers? We can fix the diaphragm muscle inside the mom's womb before the baby's born. We use anesthesia on those babies. Why? Because they have all the pain receptors and they have the neurocortex that does that. We now have good studies across the world to support this. Okay? These are the three bills that are before us right now. This is where we're at. Do you understand that there's only two three countries in the world where there's abortion on demand? We're one of them. China, right? And Russia. Abortion on, no, I'm sorry, not Russia, but because they know that they have a people problem, it's North Korea. The rest of the world, the rest of the world, stops abortion somewhere after the second trimester. All around less than 20 weeks. Do you understand that these laws are not gonna touch 95% of abortions? They're all done before 15 weeks. Most of them are done before 12 weeks. But of course, politics takes over, just like in anything, right? Ideology drives so much of science today. I know because I built contraceptives, and it was a vicious, vicious cycle. Uh, before we give money to Kenya, we're gonna make sure that they don't have children, so USAID is gonna go in there and tell them they've gotta use contraceptives to decrease their population before we give them money. 
People become the problem, right? What do we do today, folks, with sick babies? We end their lives, right? Down syndrome, 70% of Down syndrome <coughs> children found inside the uterus of their moms are ended, their lives are ended. My cousin who has Down syndrome asked me if he was a endangered species back in the day. Yeah, right. So I'm gonna end this here. There's 18 states that have the pain-capable law. It's coming up here. Please pray for us, please pray for the state. But remember, uh, changing hearts is not about legalities. Changing hearts is not so much about uh, dogma and other things, even though it's very important. It's about love. It's about allowing yourself to be loved so you can then go out and love others. That you want to have conversations. That's what I loved about my focus missionary friends. They want to have conversations. When we were going across the country, um, good Lord, uh, many years ago, uh, we stopped at Steubenville to take a break. And uh, a group of focused missionaries there really loved on us because we were being assaulted and just being calumniated and criticized across the country. But it's amazing how the Lord works. So many wonderful, little, beautiful blessings. There's a bunch of women from uh, George Washington University that we've become friends with. There's a bunch of women because it is gynecology. And so there's a bunch of women from Harvard that connected with us on the natural family planning level, cooperating with a woman's body, the genius of being feminine, and yet these were all alternative women, but they understood the difficulty they were having with being dumped, being chemicals just being dumped on them. So, we're going to, um, let's see here. I'm gonna finish up here briefly. Um, because I really want to start asking you guys some questions. You know, science is a methodology that depends on free speech and open debate. Just remember that. No one person is science. No one department is science. In my profession, they think abortion is good medicine. No, it's not. We're trying to get medicine back to the roots of what the church had done for years. Because remember, at Tepeyac, we're both and. We see the underserved, we do social justice. We really, but we're also pro-life. Can you imagine these people give us awards for not murdering babies? Think about that. Budapest, Paris, Notre Dame, California. I'm a nobody. My parents prayed for me. So I was drifting away. I went to medical school and I really had a knack for listening to PMS and some other things about the women's language of their body and I wanted to be a gynecologist because I was pretty good at surgery but I really loved to listen. And in this world, they said, oh, John, you can, you know, good Lord, you could do a lot of things um, by using hormones to manipulate people. Nothing about vitamins or nothing about light or nothing about stress. And oh, by the way, if you do abortions, you can make a lot of money. I spent some time in Appalachia 
during my um, medical school years in the corner of Wise County, Virginia. Bloody Harlan, Kentucky was north of us. Tennessee was right south of us. Everybody had black lung. Everybody was unemployed. And they said to me, John, Dr. John, I hear you're going to stay. No, no, I've been here six months. I've got to go. Oh, then you're just like everybody else. You come here to blot your own conscience. You, we're not good enough. You didn't stay with us. And my idea of mission work and serving flipped around. No, Johnny, you got to see the people in your own neighborhood. you got to try to work with folks here, which is what you guys do. It's what you do. And so, we see the underserved and we are folk pro-life. We, we try our best, we tried our best to see everybody out of our for-profit status. We couldn't, so we went not-for-profit. So we begged for help. Begging is becoming, it's almsgiving actually. What you're learning here is absolutely essential to your future. What you are learning here is absolutely essential to your future. So a friend of mine invited me to Mexico City in between my medical school and my residency. Residency is where I learned to be an OBGYN. Medical school is I was just a general doctor. But in medical school, I was already putting in IUDs, already putting people on birth control pills, already beginning to do some abortions. I go to Mexico City, and there in the, uh, and of course I'm Polish, and of course we love Our Lady, and I said the rosary every morning. I heard, why are you hurting me? I was in the corner, I was fascinated by this church. There were constant masses, constant people. There were men my age with no shirts on, covering their chest, coming off their construction work, just to go to mass and communion. And here I was, because I was already beginning to slip away, and I didn't have somebody like you guys, I blew her off, or I blew him off. The words bounced off me. Hmm, I had beer for lunch, it's too hot, I'm sweating. I didn't hear that. So, I go to my residency, and there the first two years is where I start building embryos, you know, in an in vitro, I test tube baby world, uh, Eastern Virginia is the first test tube baby site. I really have a I really have a heart for people who have infertility. I would make a lot of embryos, or we would help make a lot of embryos. We would freeze most of them. We'd put back five, lose four. It was all a game. It was all a numbers game. Even though we really wanted to help people have family, I don't throw stones at anybody here, folks. And I don't anybody here who's had an abortion or who's you know, has issues, please, uh, this is important. I mean, I'm, like I said, this is working, this is working through all this together. So, I'm in my residency, and I'm now fully schizophrenic. In one room, I'm trying to save the life of a, of a baby and a mom whose water broke early. And I'm in the next room trying to end the life of a mom's baby because she didn't want it. Broke, water broke at the same age. One room I'm saving, one room I'm ending. 
what am I doing, man? What am I doing? What am I doing? I can't believe this. And oh, by the way, I was discipled by some of my evangelical friends. So I was working at a pregnancy center at night. Dear Holy Spirit, whoever comes in this room, we are going to just lift them up and place them in your most loving heart, Lord. And we believe that we can help moms and babies and families grow. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. I'm holding hands with people at night while during the daytime doing some pretty tough things. Schizophrenic, absolutely. Mercy without Jesus leads to the gas chamber, just remember that. So, the baby comes out, the woman that didn't want the child, I pick the baby up by the head and I put it on the scale because you gotta weigh it. The baby weighs 505 grams. It's five grams over. I have to call the nurses to bring in and try to save this baby's life. You hit the button. They come running in. Thank God Dr. Debbie Plum comes up to me and goes, Hey, Dr. John, stop giving me tumors. Tumors. What? I, what are you, I, I have no idea. What, what is she talking about? She resuscitates the baby. I did a bad history and physical. It wasn't 22 weeks. It was 25 weeks. That baby survived. She says, I need to talk to you over a cup of coffee. Meet me in the, you know. Okay. She goes, man, listen, I'm so, please, 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 you're so much better than this. I see the way you listen to the patients. You're lying in the clinic. They just stand in line. They're, you're really good at listening. You're really good at helping people. Don't do this. Life is life is life, John. I heard that you used to be Catholic. I'm Catholic. I'm coming back to the church. And I just got back from a retreat in Yugoslavia, in Medjugorje. You need to go there. I went with Steubenville, but you can go with anybody. No, I'm at a kind of an Assembly of God church. We don't do that anymore. I'm, I gotta go. Two days later, my mom calls and goes, hey, Johnny, what are you doing for a winter break? Uh, yeah, what? You wanna go to Yugoslavia? What? <laughs> Medjugorje? I can't even, what, you crazy? No, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Where's my mom? We always have a relationship with our moms. So, I go, and my life gets turned on its head, but actually gets turned back to the Catholic Church. John 6 becomes real. John 6 becomes alive. The whole thing. John 15, the vine, it grows. You gotta stay connected, or else you can't. And oh, by the way, don't worry about suffering, Johnny. That's kind of called pruning. I love you. John 15 is real. The vine is real. John 19 is even more real. Hey, Johnny, uh, this is your mom from the cross. But most of all, John 21 becomes, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And oh, by the way, um, this young French girl from Belgium who was there for a pro-life group comes up and says, oh, the Blessed Mother thinks you can help her. You need to write down all these 50 things I want to tell you. And I'm like, no, no, please. I did. It was almost like in an instant I saw the beauty of what the Catholic Church is. Nothing more, nothing less. It's the most merciful thing the good Lord could have done for us. And he's continued to give it to us. 
I came down off the hill, walked the mile back to the church. I found a guy in a brown robe, I think he was a Franciscan, sitting in a chair outside in the middle of the winter, and he could speak English. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been maybe a decade and a half since my last confession. Last week I murdered a three-pound unborn child. I have to tell you that I have never felt more mercy, I've never felt more love at any other time in my life. If somebody says to you that sacraments aren't real, <laughs> medicine is a sacrament, right? Seeing a patient, it's really not the patient, it's really Christ. You're not really a doctor, you're kind of an instrument for healing and caring. And you can use a lot of different things that the Lord puts at your disposal. And so this is how I'm going to end it before I ask you a few questions here. Is, and it's uh, about quarter till seven. One is, I believe my body, my choice. I guess, I'm not sure if that still carries weight anymore because of the vaccination and all this other stuff that's going on. But that, that could be another day. The sarcastic one back there who loves St. Scholastica, who's kind of like a Catholic uh, oracle who sits on the hill <laughs> as we come to him, maybe on the hills in West Virginia. I've, I've spoken at two of those retreat centers in West Virginia. Uh, believe it or not, patients come to us from there. They rock. It's really beautiful. So that's another plug for you. <laughs> but what I want to say here is that um, my body, my choice, is absolutely juxtaposed with this is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the type of medicine we want to practice. That's the type of accounting we want to do. That's the type of uh, teaching we need to do. That's the type of everything we need to do. Because the Mass and the Eucharist is the source of, um, it's the source of life. And so um, I'm, I'm going to close here. Um, where is this little? Ah, here we go. This is uh, Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Phuong. He was a uh, Catholic priest in Vietnam. He wrote this book while he was in prison. And he's talking to his guards. And this is why I want to thank Jamie and Valerie and the rest of you all here, especially I pray abundance upon the two new ones because these, these folks are pretty rough, you know. <laughs> I wear this cross and this chain daily, not because they are reminders to me of prison, but because they represent a profound conviction that is a constant reference point for me. Only Christian love can change hearts. Not weapons, not threats, not the media. He wrote that, and I fully believe that you guys are on that path. I really believe it. Now, I finished up with mine, and I tried to get you guys to talk a little bit. <laughs> I need to know from you all, what are you... 
as young Catholic folks, whether it's abortion or contraception, where, where is, like, is there anything you can help me, prepare me for going and talking to other folks? I really mean that. Anybody wants to raise their hand? Is there anything that you are dealing with right here at George Mason that might be able to help me go to others? Yes, sir. Um, I, I think it's always, I always feel like it's a non-starter when I ever bring up a conversation, even as with, if it's with close friends. Um, because a lot of my friends are like, oh, John, this, this isn't about you. Like, you're, you're not a woman, you can't bring them. I, and, like, and I'm like, well, I guess we're done talking now. Um, yeah, how, how do you like start up this conversation? You can say something real simple in that case and say, listen, I don't need to have cancer in order to talk to somebody with cancer. It's a real quick back and forth, oh, yeah. meaning, but the, but the other issue is, is that it's really not about you bringing it up. It's really about the conversation coming to you and you asking the Holy Spirit, because once again, not everybody here is going to be, and anybody here is going to be a nurse or a doctor. Yeah, put your hand. Great, awesome, man. That's wonderful. So, so this is the frontline doctors here and the frontline healthcare providers. You don't have to bring this up at all. This is discipleship 101. You literally ask the Holy Spirit to continue to use you, and people will come to you, and then you listen, say nothing. Your job in that first minute is not to, is not to give them, you know, foot, line, and sinker exactly what the answer to the problem is. Don't do that. Just listen. Be empathetic. He talks about pity and uh, he talks about um, courage and pathos. Be courageous to listen to their pain the way the Father will listen to your prayer tonight when you pour that pain out to him. That's what real prayer is. It's silence. You connect with them eye to eye and you don't judge them at all. I totally, and then you try to rephrase it back to them. It must be hard. It sounds impossible. It sounds like you have no choice. That's what you do. By the way, this guy, when I, he's one of yours, right? He's, yeah. he's, 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 one of us. Nice. Give, me your, give me your tag, please. <laughs> Dr. John. <laughs> I went, to school in I went to school in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, we would go to New Orleans about once a month. And believe it or not, Dr. John and the Medicine was a great jazz group, Dr. <laughs> when I saw him today, man, I was like, oh, hey, do you teach here? <laughs> I'm going to keep this here with a little smiley face. <laughs> I do believe in intercessory prayer. The other thing that I want to mention to you all is, is that... During my own conversion, it was my mother's and father's praying for me. They never gave up. Don't you ever give up on your friends. If somebody in here chooses to have an abortion, never give up on them. 
love them through it. You can't take them there, and you can't quite encourage it. You can tell them you're, you're making a tough choice, a really bad choice. It's going to hurt the baby, and you're probably going to hurt yourself. Depression, substance abuse, anger, shame. But after it's over, I want you in my room talking to me. Do not sit there by yourself. That's love. That's divine mercy to care. That's the difference. You love them through it. You walk with them through it. It's what, it's what our Holy Father talks about. You can't do it. I can't. Oh, yeah. Go on your phone. You can find the best abortion clinic in the area. I don't need to tell you where it is. But yeah. So, uh, you know, once again, um, did, did I even answer the question? Or, <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm on high dose gabapentin and I'm a little bit spacey half the time. So. <laughs> By the way, I need you guys to pray for me. Um, I see patients every day, or that's what I used to do. About two, three months ago, I ended up with a new autoimmune disease where uh, I have an inflammation in my uh, brachial plexus inside my arm here, and my hand doesn't work. And I've got some damage in my neck and in my elbow. And I just want your prayers, because you guys do pray. And if you do pray over people, you know, I accept, I, I accept that, being a former evangelical. So. <laughs> uh, somebody here, yes, ma'am. So, as a nursing student, uh, do you have any advice for how to deal in the future with classes that talk about abortion? Because they probably are going to. Well, no. So, so once again, you have to understand it. You have to talk about abortion. You have to listen. And is you actually—is this a place to debate, or do I not debate? <laughs> you don't have to debate. Okay. At all. You. So, once again, um, we are part of the underground railroad in the United States. We uh, find young men and women who want to go into medicine, and we help them navigate the challenges of their training. Where can I go? What can I do? When, you're, when you are the teacher and the student, you have to learn the information, even if that information sounds political. The whole idea is to help get you through. Now, you can't participate in them. You can't engage them. But if you come across as a gentle, good soul, they may attack you, but ultimately, they ultimately respect that. Now, it hasn't quite gotten to the point of them not letting you pass. We're beginning to face that now, though, across the country, because remember, in the 1960s and 70s, we kept quiet while they just pushed contraception and abortion. The enemy was us, priests and doctors, Catholic priests and doctors. We kept our mouths shut. They know how to get stuff pushed, whether it's vaccines, whether it's certain things in medicine today. And so you then hook up with folks like ourselves at Divine Mercy or Tepiac or other friends, and you begin to talk about it. We've had people go through the number one, two, three, Harvard, Pitt, Pennsylvania, UPenn, uh, all the major abortion centers in the nation, and they survive their residency and their schooling. 
So just realize the Lord will give you words when you need them. You're going to learn a lot of good data here, you know, just from conversation. Students for Life does a great job. They're continuing to push that. That's who I worked with. They do a great job. Catholic Medical Association, Christian Medical and Dental, they do it also. But you realize you just got to get through. You got to get through and get out there. That's where the Lord's leading you. If the Lord, if the, if the Holy Spirit's leading you to go back and fight them and say, challenge them, do it. Because once again, you can't argue with where the Lord leads you. Just remember, there's many different ways to get through this. But there's many more people out there now. Because I stand on the shoulders of men and women. When I started, there was like three groups across the country. There's now 40 groups across the country. We now have big, you know, the CMDA and the Christian and the Catholic Medical Association. Many, many more people. Because they're on fire. Because once again, the rubber's meeting the road. You can't stay off the course. You have to play, you have to get involved. What else? Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. What if you, what if like you post a pro-life post on Instagram or something and then you get negative comments? How do you deal with like negative comments on like in front of everyone on social media? So um, I don't have a big social media presence, but uh, in the past, um, I got hammered by some Planned Parenthood people uh, for various things. And I don't like social media because it becomes a tit-for-tat kind of, it becomes, they say this, I say this. It's like, uh, what is it, uh, you know, chump, uh, something to dump the chump, or it, it, you, just, you just say something <laughs> to make them look bad, and you want to get likes. So I would ask you, how do you deal with social with negative social media? And do you, does it does it get to you though? What was your name? Your name was uh, Maria. Maria, yeah. Well, it used to, but now I'm like now when people comment something, if people comment something negative, now I'm like more peaceful, and I think that's working better than like arguing back, because then when you, when people argue back, it's worse. You understand that that's what Saint Bernardo of Subaru said to you, right? Before social media, <laughs> you embrace it. You embrace the difficulty and the pain. I don't know the right, you know, you sound like you're onto something. I would love to open it up to people and say, how do you handle negative social media as a Catholic young person? Do you fight back? I've heard a lot of us can answer this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't deal with a lot of people at once. If it's just one person, maybe you can handle it. But if you have a whole mob, it's not going to work. <laughs> I do not cancel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wait, wait, wait. What, guys, what, what did you say? Cancel? No, no, no. no. Cancel that. <laughs> Somebody talked about recently that the natural flow of our life is going to be, well, right now they're canceling us. And when we get into power, we're going to cancel them. That's really, really bad. And yet... I wanted to rock with this guy. <laughs> Not only his hat, but I feel the same way. And yet, and yet you can't do that. Because you really need debate. And you really need, you are going to win a lot more, not by your snarky comment, but just by being who you are. And in the process, you can embrace that sacrificial part of it, like a Therese or a Bernadette. Or, you know, um, 
any of the young men that I've read about from Italy in the uh, early 1900s, or the men from Mexico. What else? Yeah, buddy. All right, so when I was talking, uh, I was tabling for a pro-life group on campus in the fall, and this one girl came up to us, and she said, so my family has a uh, genetic disease where if we give birth, the baby will most likely have this genetic disease, and then will only live for like a year, two year at most, and will be in so much pain that it will be like, why do we want, even want to let this child live? Yes. And I'm just there, and I listen, I'm like, like never heard this, and, yeah. it's, and I'm like, I understand. It's really hard for me. I have no idea how to come back. Not even, not even just come back to that. Have a response, right. but it's like you're going to take that one very, very tiny thing. And in our modern society, if you can find that one little crack, then the whole thing, all the other arguments just fall apart. Correct. And that's why they bring that up. And I'm like, I that's understand. I have What's your first name? John. Oh, I love it. J O N or J O H N? J O H N. So I'm a J O H N. He's a J O N. So we're in this No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just so let me so let me explain to you that that question. Is that really what it's about? Well, I want my own child. Okay, but that means you have a 50 or 25% chance of having this genetic issue. Are you telling me that as a parent you would end the life of a child? Mothers want to spend time with their sick children. That's one thing that you can just say, you know, I've always heard moms want to spend time with their sick children. You can keep them comfy, you can do a lot of things. In our practice, we have something called the perinatal hospice. We treat the sick child in the womb of their mother like a hospice patient. We try to get the right diagnosis, and there are very few diseases, buddy, where you know they're only gonna live one or two years. There's actually a very deep gradation of how long. And there are many families that wouldn't trade their time with that sick child. And so as you become friends with that family or that person, you can introduce them to those people to actually give them a witness of someone who's been on the other side of that. You engage them directly. So I, um, we take care of at our office the, the, the kids that are the, the moms that come from the third trimester abortionist in Maryland. A lot of his abortions are just because they waited too long, but many of them are for sick, sick children. These are kids that have chromosomal problems, extra, many defects, brain defects. All I can tell you is that the Lord meets you where you're at, and he's never outdone in generosity. You don't ever downplay the pain, but there is a better way to do it. And I can tell you, when I abort babies because of their illness versus allowing them to live as long as God allows, those mothers, whether they're Christians or not, I had a chance to speak at a Buddhist New Year because we did something like this with a Buddhist woman. We got her to see her child not as the enemy or not as a monster, but as some child to be loved. The child lived a month. She was transformed forever. Let me give you one of, one of the last story here uh, in that regard. So I had cancer many years ago and I was over at Reston Hospital and I was getting chemotherapy. So rather than being you know, ripped and cut like a surfer, I got 50 pounds added, I was sweating, I was bloated, I was with chemotherapy. And uh, 
while I was there, guess what? One of my children, one of my moms, whose baby had no skull, was born. The only group of doctors that would take care of my patients were the abortion practice. Why was that? Because I helped them out, not aborting baby, but saving the lives of mothers who began to die during an abortion. They just knew that I would just step in and help them, because I used to do those. Never help them abort, but just help them care for the mom. The baby delivered around 10 p.m., and at 11 o'clock, I got a knock on my hospital door at Reston Hospital, and the doctor barges in, and he goes, what the hell are you doing giving me a freaking monster? I just delivered a freaking monster, John. You didn't tell me that you did this. He was violently angry at me. I said, oh, Bob, I'm so sorry. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Dude, it was disgusting. They cared for this kid as if it was special or something. My God, I don't think I can do this anymore for you. And he walked out. Now I'm, you know, three sheets to the wind. I've got chemotherapy running in my arm. I'm just bloated. I'm just sicker than stink. I'm puking. You know, they're giving me medicine that's making me itch. And I'm, and I said, oh my God, this is what happened. Let's just fast forward a bit. The same doctor had another one of my patients who was post-abortal. That means she had an abortion through his hands. I saw her for her six-week checkup after the birth of the baby. So once again, I'm bloated, I'm sick, I'm trying to see patients. Beth walks in. She walks up to me, and she holds back and hits me. She punches me directly in the chest. I hate you. I came here to Tepeyac to be de delivered by a pro-life doctor, and I walk into the room, and I'm in labor, and guess what? It's the guy who murdered my first baby. And then, now, I love you, Dr. John, because in that moment, the Lord convicted me I had to love him, and now I'm totally healed. I don't have to worry about anything. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> From a punch to a sigh. The Holy Spirit's that powerful. Number two, same doctor, same craziness. Three years later, I get another knock on my door in my office. Hey, John, it's Bob. Hey, Bob, how are you? Guess what, man? I, I've taken up a little bit of uh, what you guys do at Tepeyac. Uh, I work for the UN identifying bodies in Yugoslavia. Oh, Yugoslavia. I, I, I knew you loved Dubrovnik. Here's a picture of Dubrovnik. Dubrovnik is still, that picture is still in my office. Uh, can I talk to you for a minute? Hey, do you remember uh, when I came in and was yelling at you uh, around midnight because of the monster? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I, and then he stops. I'm so sorry. There was so much love in that room as the mother passed her child around to the siblings and they played music, and they had a priest there to give the baby a baptism and confirmation. 
John, I've, I'm a good doctor. I've wanted to have that much love in all of my patients ever since I've been a young doctor. I've never seen more love than was in that room. And I am so sorry that I took it out on you. I realized that my whole life was spent murdering those sick babies. So when you talk to someone, just remember, all you're there to do is just to give them that love, that moment where you care and listen to their story, John. Just remember that. And yes, genetic illnesses are tough. But I promise you, the Lord has never outdone in generosity. And you can bring these folks along. I had another case where, once again, the mothers wanted to, they both mom and dad wanted the baby. The baby was found to have a genetic defect. The father wanted it over. He wanted it murdered immediately because it couldn't satisfy his desire to have a healthy child. He was a big investment banker in New York. He worked here out of Washington, whatever. The mother was like, uh, you know, just five minutes ago, I wanted this child. Uh, I need some time. Well, one week, one day became one week, one week became a month, one month became three months, and the mother begins to fall in love with the child, even though the child's sick. I mean, I was born with weird toes, I was born with asthma, I was born with many defects. Some I can't mention here. But I just want you to know that when, so this gentleman, a very big lawyer, wrote it, you know, basically said, he goes, I'm gonna sue your ass. You're torturing my family. This is wrong. You don't make us keep this baby. Now, the mother began to have a relationship with us and she couldn't let the baby go because she knew that as soon as she cut the umbilical cord, the baby would die. Guess what, her water breaks. It's a wonderful Jewish family. The baby delivers. And for whatever reason, I say, dear Lord, I say, hey, uh, Benjamin, please hold your son. And I wrap this little child up and I give it to the father. And he wails the wail of an Abraham. When mothers abort their babies or have post-abortal problems, they have a certain sound. Well, this was the father who wanted to end the life of his son that I just gave him who was still alive. He sat in the chair, the wife hugged him, he cried profusely. I deliver the baby, I make sure mom's okay, I leave. I see her once in the office, nothing said about the lawsuit. I get a note on stationery from someplace in New York City. Dear Dr. John, Thank you for letting me, thank you for letting me hold my Adam. I, words cannot express something. Once again, guys, I, all I can tell you is that when you give your heart over to the Lord, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of craziness, and there's a lot of wildness, and you meet priests like Father Farrell. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. This is real. When they talk about the encounter, we, weekend they were bubbly almost there I want to tell you something if you ask for Jesus to be present he's never outdone never ever and it's just wonderful 
I think it's it's got to be uh, it's about ten after seven. Is there any one more question or anything? I just want to thank you guys for just being here tonight. And um, uh, I don't know if there's a if you all you know if you could just uh, say a prayer with me to close. Um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Fill this room. Fill the hearts that are here, Lord. Fill our friends. Fill our campus. Thank you for this evening. Come Holy Spirit. Daddy, we have nowhere else to go but to you. Thank you in advance for the graces, past, present, and future. Thank you for being the same, past, present, and future. Watch over this, watch over this ministry, Lord. Abundance, Father, abundance, Father. The missionaries that are here, the men and women at church tonight, Lord. Be with them over this weekend. Be with them over their time here. Fill Father with, oh, the grace and the humor and the sarcasm he needs to minister. And Daddy, Heal my brothers and sisters in this room, body, soul, and spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And Papa, we ask you and we give you the glory ahead of time through the intercession of Our Lady. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you guys so much.